This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. Good evening, everybody, and welcome once again to Teachers Talk Radio. Absolutely excited and delighted to be here again with you. Really exciting show tonight. Approaches to mental health, spelling submits, thinking about evidence-informed approaches to mental health and well-being and student well-being. And a real opportunity for everyone also to learn a little bit more about Tooled Up. This is Teachers Talk Radio and you are listening live. Tune in live at ttradio.org or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TTRadio. Tune in, talk it out with Teachers Talk Radio. I've got a very special guest who I'm going to introduce in just a moment. Um, just before I do that, um, a little bit about her from, from me. Um, my guest is, is Dr. Kathy Weston. She uh, is... A, completed a master's and a doctorate in criminology at the University of Cambridge. She's then spent 15 years working as a, a policy and education researcher in higher education. And this is where she developed her interest in parental engagement in children's lives and learning. She's co-authored two books for teachers on engaging parents in 2018 and 2020, and is the founder of Tooled Up Education. So what is Tooled Up? Well, you can see it's tagged in the title for the show tonight. But Tooled Up Education is the home of evidence-informed resources, which cover all aspects of parenting, education, family life. Tooled Up supports schools across the UK and Europe. And it, you've got uh, resources, webinars, podcasts, um, and lots of CPD facility for staff. Um, now, we're going to explore what Tooled Up does in a lot more detail tonight. But before I do anything... I'm just going to check that Kathy can hear me okay. Kathy, good evening. You just need to click the little mute icon in the bottom left. There we go. Hello, Tom. Thanks for having good me. Good evening. Um, thank you very much uh, for for taking up the time to to do the show tonight. Um, it's not just you. We've got um, a couple of other guests who we'll introduce later on. Um, and, yeah, we're going to have a, a really kind of in-depth chat, hopefully, about a lot of these issues around mental health and well-being. Um, before we do anything, Kathy, can you tell, I, I've given you a little bit of an introduction there, but can you tell us a bit more about your background? Because it obviously we know it's quite varied. <laughs> Thank you. Yes, uh, you're right in saying that I'm a criminologist by background and criminology itself is actually quite a varied uh, subject. My specialty within that was really looking at the sociology of coping within institutional life. And although that sounds quite divorced um, from education, it really isn't because my sort of specialty um, as, a, as, a, as a social scientist, a criminologist, was looking at resilience, um, certainly within institutional settings, looking at identity, looking at identity crises, looking at how uh, people recover from trauma. So those were my main research interests. And then when I became a parent myself, I actually became um, an education researcher nearby in a sort of a university 
in a sort of school of education. And that's where I became, I was working alongside teachers every single day. And I had a small child and I realized that all my colleagues who were teachers knew so much and they had so much knowledge of, you know, how to support and help children, how to get my three year old, you know, to to sort of participate in play or read, you know, read books with me. And I became terribly interested in parental engagement in children's learning. And I became the person in the department where everybody would leave things on my desk, like interesting news articles and books and all sorts of things like that. And eventually I sort of took the plunge and went the whole way down to Bath. And I met my my idol, Professor Janet Goodall, and I asked her, to, we, you know, we co-created two books for Bloomsbury called Engaging Parents. And that's sort of 200 tips across two books of how schools can work more effectively with parents. So that was the beginning of my kind of interest in this area. Yeah. I, and obviously it's gone on from there in the sense that, you know, you've set up tooled up education. We'll come on to that later on. Um, I wondered whether with with the role that you have now, obviously you've been involved in, in a lot of policy and, and education research. What the over COVID, the, the kind of COVID period and at the moment post-COVID, what are the main mental health issues that you think schools are seeing or experiencing in, the, in, in this last few years? Have things got worse or is that just a myth? I mean, or is it just that more things are being flagged up, if you like? So this, we work with a lot of kind of epidemiologists and mental health researchers in Tilled Up, and the answer to that is quite complex. However, pre-COVID, we knew, and you may recall, there was chat about a kind of a mental health crisis um, amongst our sort of nation's young people. And in 2020, the World Health Organization, you know, was talking about half of all mental health disorders in adulthood would start by the age of 14. You know, in, in Britain today, about 7% of children have attempted suicide by the age of 17. That is a stat from the British Journal of Psychiatry. So the thing is, things were pretty, weren't weren't that great before COVID, but what has happened now, if I always refer to it as a kind of pandemic tsunami, it is receding to some degree. And on the beach, on the mental health beach, that we're left with some really quite, um, you know, dominant uh, patterns. So, for example, in many, many schools listening to this, many pastoral uh, staff will recognise, you know, the fact that we are, we're now seeing with the with sort of schools returning and, you know, after the sort of second lockdown, there was a kind of a, a, um, a noticeable rise in eating disorders. Uh, that's a big one. Uh, body image dissatisfaction uh, has got worse. There has been a rise in what are called anxiety ticks amongst teenage girls. That's quite an interesting phenomenon mm. that was actually raised by Great Ormond Street. And I think historically sort of anxiety ticks were associated uh, more with kind of younger children. And but and they're very people aren't quite clear on why the rise was seen so sort of um clearly in teenage girls but that's yeah. something again that mental health researchers are looking into ocd obsessive compulsive disorders health anxiety you know the modley were 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 highlighting that school of emotionally based school avoidance is 
very common, um, a, a source you know of great concern across school communities, and very complex as well to understand and also to, excuse me, to navigate. Also, I think, um, you know, things like sexual exploitation online, the IWF, the Internet Watch Foundation, who you may know, have highlighted other issues that COVID have sort of aggravated. And that would be, you know, children at risk online. You know, they spent a lot more time online um, during COVID. So we're sort of seeing the sort of slow um, the sort of the those things on the beach that we're now trying to mop up. And that, of course, goes hand in hand with. You know, we all know that uh, services are under enormous stress and really the role of Tooled Up is both to raise awareness, or keep an eye on all of these very complex issues yeah. and to try and translate and, you know, uh, research for people working in schools and for parents with all of those mental health issues and concerns it is impossible to solve or tackle any of them without being working in partnership with parents and families and traditionally within tooled up we always say we think there's too much pressure on schools to solve every conceivable issue in children's lives and particularly around mental health we have to build parental capacity in schools we have to bring parents along with us on this quite difficult journey can you tell us, I mean, that would probably be a good lead in. Tell us a bit more about Tooled Up. Tell, tell us about that. Tell us how that starts and what that is. Well, our team always kind of jokes. It's quite hard to describe what we do because it is quite, you know, um, many multifaceted. But essentially, Tooled Up is a digital space, a hub, a community, uh, a, a place of a community amongst schools and organizations that yeah. believe in research informed resources and believe in having a one stop shop. I think it's quite an old fashioned model, for example, of CPD to have someone like me come in and give a two hour talk on an inset day and then nobody can remember what I said six months later. You know, Tooled Up is essentially a one stop shop. Of, of all of us leaning into the same content, leaning into the same, to the research, you know, staying attuned, honing that kind of product. A teacher's been able to have somewhere to go to, to look for evidence-based material, but most importantly, a place where they can request uh, resources as and when they need them. And I think that makes us quite unique. So, for example, we hear from our schools every day asking us things. Have you got a specific resource on self-harm in year seven? Or have you got a specific resource looking at, for example, um, you know, a particular resource for parents about a particular issue? So we, you know, we respond and we love to hear from our schools as and when they have, you know, something that has cropped up. And I think we shouldn't expect school staff to, you know, spend their weekends researching certainly mental health issues or attending, you know, mental health conferences that no doubt they want to go to, but don't have the capacity yeah. or time to attend. And that's our role. We're like a research yeah. arm to the school, to families or to organisations. Got you. Now, what I've done is I've pinned a few examples of the things that, that Tooled Up does into the space. So anyone listening, you can just click on those and, and, and maybe file them for later, maybe give it a like or whatever, and then it'll sit in your likes and you can go back to it later. Click on the links, have a look. But essentially, there's a lot of different things that, that you offer there that you've outlined. 
what I'd like to do is get, let's go back to then what we just started to talk about, which is these mental health issues for students and schools. Let's start with anxiety then. Um, you mentioned anxiety ticks. You mentioned um, kind of, uh, what I want to do is start with like the basics of what is anxiety? What, what, what is anxiety for young people? And what does that look like? Well, first of all, so our role is to try and translate research, right? So if you look at, we have, by the way, some of the world's greatest anxiety researchers living and working in Britain. And I'm referring and referencing their work when I tell you what we know. When you are raising children or when you are working with children, it's very important to recognize and articulate that anxiety isn't the enemy per se. That said, it's the largest mental health disorder, you know, affecting children and young people. However, we need to teach children the difference between what is called sort of normal butterflies in tummy and sort of problematic anxiety, you know, anxiety that overwhelms or inhibits a child's ability to participate in things they ordinarily enjoy or, in, you know, inhibits their uh, ability to come to school or really crippling anxiety. So there is a difference. We have to become quite literate about that sort of difference. And, you know, the butterflies that I have in my tummy now, well, that's because, you know, I've got those because I'm excited to talk to you. It, this matters to me. It doesn't necessarily mean that I'm very nervous and worried and anxious. So we have to help children really navigate and think about that concept of when we feel nervous. And we all do. The second thing I would say is that staff in school, any of us, anyone who works or loves children, you know, cares for children, we have to understand what the research says. And if you look at someone like Professor Kathy Cresswell's work, she has an amazing book called How to Talk to Your Child About Their Fears and Worries. The approaches that she talks about, it's much more, as she says, about coaching children and problem solving through anxiety than it is about soothing them. So the thing is, all teachers already have the capacity and skill set to be able to help children to problem solve through anxiety. In fact, there was a very recent report by the Wellcome Trust looking at, you know, what works in reducing anxiety and depression in young people. And they're crystal clear, as is the rest of the anxiety research, that we need to help young people define the problem as far as possible, brainstorm solutions, you know, chunk it down, brainstorm, appraise a solution, choose an appropriate thing to try, it trying things out, implementing an idea and evaluating it. So if a child is very frightened to come into the assembly hall on a Friday morning, well, the, the, the literature tells us, you know, that it's important to try and set you know first of all validate how that child is feeling i can see you're looking yeah. nervous i can see you know and and doing a lot of work in schools and family life about kind of how anxiety affects each of us differently i think children are always amazed to discover that their parent or their teacher can feel anxious too and how it sort of affects our bodies we might have sweaty hands or a kind of a tight throat and that kind of liberates them to some degree and then coming up with goals, having small achievable goals when yeah. a child is feeling anxious. That said, if a child is exhibiting, you know, the kind of problematic anxiety that I've described earlier, of course, they should see a clinician. And there are some amazing 
clinicians around who can really, really um, successfully treat anxiety. But for the yeah. rest of us, and, you know, we, we need to up our game. We need to know what we're doing. We need to be able to apply that research in a way that we are really, really confident in doing. So, for what example, should what should a what should a teacher do if if one of their tutees, for example, says, you know, I, I feel like I'm um, having panic attacks or I'm suffering from anxiety or I, I'm too scared to do this or I can't do that. You know, what what is the answer for the for the kind of classroom teacher there? Well, first of all, it depends on sort of the age of the child in terms. But I think if any adult hears a child speak like that, the first thing to say is thank you so much for sharing that with me. Mm. I can see that it's upsetting. I can see that you're upset and validating that child's emotions first. Then I think it's just about a little bit of exploratory work. That might be the classroom teacher rather than sort of head of pastoral care or the school nurse or the school counsellor. So it's important, perhaps, if that classroom teacher just kind of gathers a little bit of information. Um, it might, they might, may not be the appropriate person to do the intervention. But I think the, the right messaging with children is, look, thank you for sharing that with me. Let's try and puzzle it out together if you have time with the child to think about what in that moment has made that child want to leave the class capturing Mm. that kind of data if you like at that point telling children that you know everybody gets nervous um you know and there are lots of tried and tested methods and solutions to reduce anxiety often it's a case of igniting children's active coping skills most children are extremely adept um when you remind them and ignite um their ideas around what they can do to relax, to calm themselves down. That's why, for example, in Tooled Up, we have a lovely resource called a coping menu. And we would refer children and families and teachers to that resource so that children get used to thinking about how can I know how I can reduce my anxiety from eight down to two using a tried and tested method. So there are tools out there. We just, uh, you know, we know what we need to do. We just need to sort of get on and do it. That said, you did just mention panic attacks. Now, they're obviously, um, you know, if anyone's having a panic attack, and I remember at university, I had panic attacks uh, for a little while. And they do need to be very carefully treated. And I'm not a psychiatrist or clinician. So I'm not, you know, uh, if a child talks about panic attacks and they feel like they're dying and they're struggling to breathe and they have that sense of what's called depersonalization, where they feel they don't even exist in that moment. I mean, they obviously need to see and get some clinical care and see the GP. Got you. Um, (coughs) Another one that I wanted to kind of chat with you about was perfectionism um and kind of students who um can't respond i guess to to failure or perceived failure um and struggling with that and i think that can happen quite a lot actually so what would your kind of thinking be on that yes so um perfectionism can often go kind of hand in hand with anxiety and it is on the rise Uh, particularly around sort of academic anxiety. And there are lots of different sort of types of perfectionism. We cover it within Tooled Up, um, you know, lots of definitions of it. But um, one of the kind of areas of perfectionism that would affect teaching would be sort of what are called perfectionistic concerns. So a child worried about being judged 
uh, about their performance or they're ev evaluated to have done a bad job or very, very anxious about making mistakes. Um, and, 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 and sort of teachers picking up on that. Um, you know, sometimes it can be kind of misinterpreted as wonderful, you know, they're deeply motivated and they want to do an amazing job and they want to sit there till they've finished the entire page. But we just have to be careful to become what's called uh, Rob Lightfoot in the NACE. He talks about, um, you know, being uh, literate around perfectionism. So I think teachers need to be kind of knowledgeable about spotting the signs of perfectionistic thinking and really contextualizing it for that student. That student might be very, very anxious about other things. So that perfectionism may not be something to kind of celebrate, uh, but something to sort of gently explore with that student. There are interventions, actually, that the, you know, the uh, NACE, um, the um, uh, Rob Lightfoot there has done some lovely work. Uh, for secondary schools interventions that teachers can actually use in the classroom yeah. that, that are quite evidence-based we've, we've done a webinar with him for tooled up so there are things you can do to challenge that thinking within tooled up of course we believe it is not possible for teachers to achieve that on their own you have to have parents coming along with you so for example within tooled up we have resources that help parents normalize mistake making um, in family life so i would be saying to tooled up parents you know if you see your child making mistake at homework time and god knows we've all done it you know in the past you sort of shout at them and you say why are you making that mistake tonight when last night you knew it and we can make our own children very very anxious about making a mistake and instead, we should be saying, look, well done for spotting that mistake. And just by paying attention to the language that we use with children when they perhaps, you know, make a mistake, you know, it's, it's, it's critically important. Um, and I think parents have an enormous role to, to play here. I think that if schools are, you know, invoking growth mindset approaches, that's all brilliant. Um, but if a child is being berated at home for getting 50% in their spelling test or their exam, well, you're kind of your hard work goes out the window a little bit. Yeah. So that is why we need that sort of alignment between uh, home and school. Got you. Um, just, just as a pause there, you are, anyone listening, you are listening to Teachers Talk Radio. This is a, a special show on evidence-informed approaches to mental health. Uh, thank you very much for joining in with us this evening. Uh, I've got Kathy Weston. We, we've got lots more to discuss um, as we go through this. I mean, we've only really just started on anxiety and perfectionism and so on. Uh, and we started talking about strategies or interventions or whatever that that teachers or educators or schools could could use in those domains. One thing that I've seen a lot of actually, particularly recently, which is in some ways a good thing because I think there's more of an open conversation about it. But obviously, it's a bad thing that that, that maybe it's it's as widespread as it is. Is eating disorders and uh, kind of how the I guess the disclosure of of eating disorders. And people talking about eating disorders has become more prevalent, which I think is good. But obviously that also highlights how prevalent they, they are amongst young people. So I wondered whether with that, I suppose part A would be, you know, how common is it uh, in schools? Uh, you know, what are the what are the signs that 
teachers can kind of be be aware of or or start to think about and then it's i suppose how to intervene or how to respond to to that yeah so just to give you an example of how we approach that topic in tilda obviously there are some amazing psychiatrists clinicians working in the field of eating disorders um, all over Britain, and we we've hired them. We we've worked with them. We we've got you know clinical psychologists who run eating disorder clinics, doing webinars for us in Tooled Up. We've got we've interviewed some of the top psychiatrists in the world on those topics and researchers. So what we do is we go out and we explore all of the things that we can possibly find on that topic. Now, what we discovered is. Uh, the first thing to think about if you're working in a school, you have to think about spotting eating disorders. And that is not easy. None of us have the training of people who work in that area and none of us are psychiatrists. Right. But there are key things that schools that all members of staff should be aware of. And of course, everything goes back to relationships and knowing pupils. So for example, and these can be these can be signs, you know, equally signs of adolescence, you know, but you know, children who want to cover up a little bit more, disguise their bodies, there might be changes of eating habits mm. that you notice wanting to bring in a packed lunch every single day. I mean, for some children that's normal. For other children, if you add up a few other different factors going on for them that might be a little worrying sign um wanting to exercise excessively you know as a solo per- person rather than participate suddenly in, in team sports i mean you have to you have to look for things that don't feel right to you and always you know gently uh, speak to parents and young people about those issues so it's not easy to spot but often you know other pupils disclose things um, other uh, you might notice they might you might hear young people talking about social media habits and following particular accounts or commenting on on weight and talking excessively about dieting and so it could be anything it's it's very very complex and it's not easy to spot however there are the things that I want to focus on and I draw schools attention to within tools up are things that we can do something about and one of the things that we know, for example, the Centre of Appearance Research at Bristol, there's a lovely professor there, Diedrichs, and she, um, you know, talks about body image dissatisfaction being the commonest risk factor for eating disorders, which would be sort of defined as a young person sort of negatively evaluating their physical body, their figure, their weight, their stomach, their hips. But it's also something that we can do something about. It's the most potent modifiable risk factor. So taking that back, we, you know, into schools, what can we do if we're working in primary schools, if we're working with young people, you know, at that beginning of that journey in secondary, the research is clear that we should make sure uh, that we do not talk about being fat, uh, how we should have fat-free talk in mm-hmm. school, at home. That should be part and parcel um, of school policy. And secondly, anti-bullying uh, policies yeah. in, in school should clearly emphasise zero tolerance to weight teasing. Nora Trumpeter's work has pointed uh, quite clearly to that being a predictor of eating disorders. So no weight teasing, no chat yeah. about fat and t- helping children, you know, be 
it's called body gratitude be grateful for what their bodies are capable of and can do and really as secondary school teachers in particular you know really promoting digital literacy uh, that whole idea of literacy you know criticality yeah. when we're engaging with sort of you know fashion magazines or images that sort of perfectionistic toxic perfectionism that pervades uh, digital um, platforms like social media that's where we're really going to have the most impact and influence I think as teachers got you a uh, question that we, we I want to talk a little bit about digital uh, some of the issues around digital media social media um, things like that um, because I think that's a huge issue when it comes to student mental health in fact some would say it's probably the biggest issue right now when it comes to the impact it can have and um, obviously we've got high profile stories that can be devastating about students who are, are really badly affected by experiences on social media many students are still uh, using social media an awful lot um you know uh that they're some some are probably addicted to it i mean how big an issue do you think it is i suppose would be question one and question two should schools ban the mobile phones? By the way, everyone, you can visit Tooledup at tooleduppeducation.com. So get over there, have a look at the resources while you're listening, um, see if there's anything there that could help with any of the questions we're asking today. But my question to you there, Kathy, is digital issues with mental health, social media, and should schools ban mobile phones? Well, I'll start, I'll start with the easier question, which is about kind of, you know, our, our sort of level of concern. We know that, you know, half the country's 10 year olds own a smartphone. Right. So the, the I have enormous sympathy for schools because it is a parent's uh, prerogative to buy their child a mobile phone and schools have to live with the consequences of parental choice. And um, I think that there are some very, very important messages that have kind of got lost. So, for example, mm. families and schools often emphasize, you know, the harmful effects of screen time when that is entirely not evidence based. Instead, in the sort of the literature, you know, the, the research on, on sort of uh, children's relationship with digital tech, it is the emphasis is much more on screen use. If my 15-year-old is spending two hours in front of a screen, the question is, you know, is he doing his Latin on Quizlet or is he watching pornography? There's a big difference. So the question is, what are they doing online? How are they interacting with the apps that they choose to download? Social media is not necessarily a foe. Uh, there's lots of research to show it does promote well-being, a sense of community, cohesiveness amongst sort of teenage groups. But on the other hand, the research is clear that if a child has existing low self-esteem, you know, maybe a mental health condition, that uh, that interaction with social media, particularly if young people are using particular apps, um, for example, that focus on appearance or, you know, that in, uh, instigate that kind of comparison with other people, then that can be problematic. So the question is really, uh, I would go back to, you know, I would always question that choice to give children a phone or access to social media at an early age. And um, that's that begins in parenting. Secondly, I think that um, schools obviously um, need to emphasize digital hygiene, which they do, but you can't do that without 
partnership with parents. Uh, parents yes. need to understand what the risks are, the digital risks, the harms, the vulnerabilities. And we know that children who have existing vulnerabilities will be much more um, you know, likely to be victimized online as well. So there's a kind of a vicious circle between you know, uh, phone use, digital hygiene, um, and sort of cyberbullying. And I feel really, really sorry for schools because it's really hard for them to navigate the, what's going on for children in those spaces. Should, I mean, I'll bring, um, I think Kira, is it? Kira, do you want to kind of unmute yourself, bottom left hand side? Just click the button there. It should. There we go. Hello. Hello. How are you this evening? I'm, I'm good. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Well, it's a pleasure. Um, now, Kira, you are a teacher at friends school which is the account you're joining on i believe is that right yeah yeah i, I wondered whether you had anything that you from from a teacher's perspective whether or a school's perspective whether there's anything you wanted to add into this about mobile phone use um whether you think that they should be banned in schools whether you think they should be highly restricted you know what what's your thinking on this um I I pretty much echo what what Kathy would be saying because I think you know phones are are part of their lives now and um for us to you know restrict their usage or to ban it I don't really think it's a positive thing it's much more more about teaching them really good healthy digital literacy and um you know teaching them how to use it in a in a healthy manner and teach them to be critical of what they're using and what they're seeing and it's by doing so we've got a really really good way in of teaching them how to be critical of what they see on social media and instagram and just how potent some of those things can be and just reflect on their usage rather than ban their usage that's what what i would believe yeah. Okay. I mean, I was going to ask you, Kira, do you want to just, I mean, I haven't really done justice there as an introduction for you. I know that you work with Kathy, you work with Tooled Up Education. I wonder whether you could just introduce yourself and your school and so on a bit more. Okay. Yeah. So, um, yeah, the, the school I uh, teach in is Friends School um, and that's in Lisbon, just outside Belfast. Um, we're a school about a thousand pupils and it's mixed and it's a secondary school um, and I'm designated teacher for safeguarding and the pastoral lead at um, at that school um, and we, we've been subscribed to Tilled Up since January so a relatively short length of time um, and we we had, um, I mean, Kathy had alluded to it earlier about over the last couple of years, just the complexity of pastoral issues that um, were manifesting itself in our schools. Um, and we as a school just felt that we needed to upskill ourselves and just become better informed on how to help support the pupils in front of us and how to help support um, our parents and it was really by accident I came across told up whilst searching online just for some advice on different um, yeah. topics and issues um, interesting. and I was just you know desperate for some information that just wasn't anecdotal or I was hoping for the best so that's I mean I that's just... bad that's bad in a way isn't it that that you you know you you couldn't you know, there the, 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 the aren't that, that obvious kind of signpost. Do you know what I mean? That you, and it's lucky in a way that you found something that, that could yeah. help you. 
you know. Well, there's there's loads of information out there, but it's how to distill. Well, it's the quality though of it, isn't yes. it? That's is is it is it evidence informed? Is it you know exactly. is it valid? What is it? So how have you how have you you how did you then use that information? How do you use it now? So we, I mean, that it really has to be, a, you know, a two pronged attack. Um, and Kathy talked about, you know, how you, how we need staff and parents to be linking up together so that the vocabulary we are using is consistent. Um, so, I mean, we, are, we since January, we've been trying to approach a consistent attitude across staff and parents. Um, and what do you mean? What do you mean by that, though? What so, What does that mean? So, with with our staff, it's about uh, um, making them much more knowledgeable on some of the key issues. So, you know, what I've been doing is, you know, starting, you know, a professional learning working group, um, and looking at some of the resources because there's so many resources online on the Tooled Up Education site, um, that we've been taking different topics. Um, each month and trying to um, distill some of the information down and then we are presenting it to staff and it's not just me who's presenting it to staff in a you know in a 20-minute fashion uh, I'm trying to um, you know embrace all members of staff from classroom assistants to year teachers to middle management to senior management so that more and more people are becoming more equipped um, and we're just looking at the the issues that are impacting and affecting our children the most. So I suppose that's how we have used it for our staff, you know, in our so staff what, training. So, yeah, yeah, I've got you. So if I'm a teacher in your school and I'm kind of a bit flummoxed by yeah. some of the stuff we've already discussed, you know, whether it be eating disorders, whether it be anxiety and students, all that stuff, how would you, how would I as a teacher access that support? So they all have access to the the site, um, and I mean it's really easy to use. Yes. Um, you know they can just browse and type in something, um, but really they can they can go through any of the you know the the pastoral staff who have maybe done a wee bit more of the reading and the listening to the podcasts or the webinars. Um, and we share all of that information on staff training days and then on a central part of our um, staff resources site so that they have easy access and quick access to some of the advice and that they're not having to go through lots and lots of webinars that they have it in a really distilled fashion. Got you, yeah. got you, perfect. And how do parents respond to to this? What's, Just, what's their involvement in it all? Okay, yeah. and, and actually, I was going to ask them in general as well, what is their general attitude towards I guess well-being, mental health, and the school taking it seriously the way it is. Yeah, uh, all the parents I have spoken to about it um, have been really positive. Um, I think parents, we're all the same. We're we all just feel like we are trying to make the best out of a bit of a mess, you know, a mess. Um, and especially with teenagers, there is no teenager out there with you know excellent behaviour all the time. Um, and any conversations I have with parents, they're saying we don't know what to do, we don't know what to do, and they are desperate for some advice on how to help their their child. Um, and how we do that, I think we, you know I've been really working hard over the last nine months to persuade our parents 
that this is not just a reactive measure and that mm. the resources out there is not just to react to the crisis points, but that everybody should be much more aware on how we can prevent you know, body image dissatisfaction or how we can prevent anxiety happening around exam times. So yeah. to get them on board early on is really essential. So what we do is there's a couple of different ways that we are trying to, you know, maintain this communication. Um, and we send them um, newsletters every month um, where we sign oh, okay. some things. And it's brilliant because I don't really need to do an awful lot of the hard work because Kathy and her team do, does that. And she continuously sends us like weekly emails and month and they signpost things. Got you. Um, particularly around, you know, for example, our September newsletter is about to go out and there's pieces in it about transition and moving into sixth form. And Kathy has already signposted those to me. Um, and then, you know, coming up to exam times, you know, she would um, signpost me towards resources about sleep so, or nutrition or exams. So just to be clear, that's a newsletter that goes to parents. Yeah, yeah. And so, it's, so you're regularly sending that out. And that, and that newsletter, I mean, is that a general school newsletter or is that yes. something more? For, right, OK, but then there's a section within it yeah. that's... The... Yeah, so it's a general newsletter, and then I have a wee tooled up section, God, yeah. um, and that goes out every month to our our parents. And then um, within that section, is it like, okay, what's the answer to X, or what's the answer to Y? Is it that sort of thing? Yeah, so it, well, it, it'll signpost them towards a webinar on, you know, um, the importance of nutrition coming up to exams. Um, so we, you know, it's all tailored towards what we feel our parents um, would, you know, benefit yeah, from. Yeah, benefit from. Yeah. And what about what about the impact? Like, I mean, how long have you been like doing this approach for now? Like how? So it took us a couple of months, you know, so we we subscribed uh, from January. So all our parents that, you know, it took a couple of months just for, you know, introductions to happen yeah. and parents to get all signed on. And then Kathy did, um, you know, a webinar with them. She's done two webinars actually with them and answering yeah. some questions. So really we, you know, it's only been a few, uh, you know, since about Easter time, we've been regularly communicating with them. Yeah. And again, now, um, you know, with that, we, we've made a commitment to our parents and we've told them that each month that this is the way that we will, do, you know, we will yeah. practice our, 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 um, our pastoral care. Um, and, you know, we had, I've just come from a, a parents information evening for, yeah. um, and I signposted it again and, and just reminded them. So we want it to be just that continuous communication to know that we are going alongside them on their journey and that we have this great, um, you know, high quality resources from Tooled Up that they are doing all the hard work for us. Yeah. For us and Do we're you... just providing it. I mean, this is a general question, but how, I suppose there's two parts to it is, you know, with the staff in, in school, I mean, because I, I have to say, for me, like, I've, I've improved my kind of knowledge base on a lot of these things in the last couple of years by reading, by yeah. by researching and so on. But would you say that in general there is there is a, a gap, a, a lot of, a, a big gap for kind of teaching staff on a lot of these issues? Or would you say that, you know that a lot of them are are quite clued up on it already no. or would you say not 
I, I, and I, I hope this doesn't sound unkind, but I think so many of these issues are so new um, yeah. and they are so far removed from a lot of teachers' um, experience as teenagers themselves. Um, it's, it's really difficult to stay on top of it. So I, I wouldn't necessarily say that teachers are clued up on it. Um, I think we are getting better. Um, but there are so many we practical strategies and even focusing on our vocabulary that um, you know I'm I'm you know I, my experience from our school is that they hadn't really thought about um, some of the pitfalls that we can make just really inadvertently and subliminal message around body image <laughs> that we can just naturally and you know just just foolishly fall into. So I, I wouldn't I I think there's a lot of work to be done in this area and it's brilliant that we we've got yeah. that excellent kathy can i bring you back in a minute i was going to ask so these these um things that kira has been using to send to parents and share with parents i was wondering what tell me more about the researchers that you actually work with so the people who actually put together the content that you've got on tooled up for example or that you've got yourself Yes, thank you. And thanks to Kira for that um, brilliant sort of testimony yeah, about how she's used, you know, such a, an engaged and brilliant school. Because um, I know for me, that would have helped me a lot, especially in my early years as a teacher, if I'd have had that kind of port of call or that access to something that I knew was there, that I knew was that expertise. I think it would have really helped me, you know, especially, um, you know, years ago so yeah well, definitely I, Carry, I think, sorry i think, I think particularly for pastoral staff for, so for example on the front of tilt upside you can see our kind of there's researcher of the month that's a kind of a public feature and that's where we kind of look at emerging research or fre the freshest possible research so to be researcher of the month you know we've got fulbright scholars and gate scholars and um, you know, professors who've just published a very interesting paper in the area of mental health. And anyone who reads that sort of array of research, you can see that we've distilled an academic paper into a couple of paragraphs, what yeah. schools need to know, what parents need to know. And that little bank um, of researcher of the month, that just shows you how we try and stay on top, top of the freshest research. Within Tooled Up, we, you know, you could mention any area, take social media and body image, one of the leading researchers in the world, Professor Tracy Wade in Australia. We've done at least two webinars with her. Um, she, we're quite snobby in terms of our research community. So, But I suppose you know, you've, got, you've got to be, haven't you? Because I was going to ask yeah. you, you know, the, there's a lot of gunk out there. This is me talking now, personal, Tom. You know, there is a lot of gunk out there, a lot of junk out there. So I was wondering, how do you audit how you said you were snobby about your research yeah, and some choice. Yeah. How do you audit that? Well, uh, first of all, to sort of make it onto our podcast, you have to be kind of professorial level generally yeah. um, in, a, in a leading university. So just in the Russell Group University. So, for example, you know, you'll find uh, a lot of our webinars, for example, on neuromyths and education. I mean, we've got UCL brain scientists delivering webinars on dyslexia, on ADHD, on autism, busting neuromyths, one of the leading researchers in that area, Joe Herwagen at UCL. I mean, these are really world-class uh, researchers. 
Um, occasionally, we will uh, have a PhD student in research of the month who's supervised by maybe a world leading researcher. So we we generally, you know, will all, always lean into big research institutes. Uh, you know, uh, we we've just last week I interviewed Tamsin Ford for an hour and forty minutes for Tooled Up. She's professor of psychiatry at Cambridge, the Centre of Family Research. So you know, these are world class research institutes, and they are churning out fantastic work. Our job is to distill it, to translate it, try and understand it, try and get the gist of it, try and bridge the gap between that knowledge and real life. That is my passion, is making sure that we can kind of stay on top of it and translate that work as far as we can. It's not always easy, but at least translate it into something that that is an actionable tip or something, as Kira just alluded to, that really raises awareness, changes our sort of perspective on an issue. So we're paying attention to it in a different way. Um, but, uh, you know, we have, as you've mentioned, you know, we, we work with, we're, we're next week, we're engaging with a professor at Yale, you know, so we have a kind of a global interest. Oh, that's just my weekly, research. that's just my weekly chill in the coffee shop. Kathy, you know, I'm always <laughs> chilling with Yale professors. That's just, I mean, there's no point in, you know, Harvard, Yale. That's just how I roll. It's not really. Um, yeah. uh, I was going to ask you the, the. I mean, I was going to ask you about, because this is a good topic, actually, of like myths and thing, and kind of what do you think, I mean, you must have come across a lot and you must know what the most prevalent myths are, as in things within mental health that are not, necessarily evidence in form that can be quite damaging you know damaging myths I mean do you know any are there any you could share with us yeah well I think in teaching and learning you know things like learning styles I mean yeah I'm sure we've all followed Twitter accounts and organizations who talk about you know brain training or left right brains and learning styles or you know, uh, particular neural myths around autism and ADHD. That's sort of Joe Herwegen's specialty. You know, we yeah. can make a lot of very damaging assumptions about those conditions. And, you know, for example, teachers might say a child with ADHD can never focus. That's not actually true. Um, or autistic children uh, never want to socialize. That is not true either. Um, yeah. it, it's very nuanced, a lot of that material. But I think if you one of our you know passions in Tooled Up is to deliver CPD to staff, so that is why all of us can you know within Tooled Up go and watch that webinar, learn from Joe Herwagen, adjust some of those uh, you know um, things that we might be doing in the classroom. There's some beautiful research by Gemma Goldenberg looking at the impact of the sort of the how to optimize the sort of the classroom environment for learning. And, you know, you might intuitively feel that having a wonderful, you know, lively, colorful display in a very busy classroom is good for concentration and learning. But her, her research might suggest otherwise. So, it, you know, sometimes what is intuitive and appealing and attractive, like something like learning styles, it's not evidence based. So, you know, we're kind of there to help teachers unpick that, to stay on top of some of that research and you know the teacher cpd element of tooled up there's a carousel of webinars that any teacher in any of our tooled up schools can attend whenever they like and if they miss it they just watch it back in the library yeah yeah and, and obviously i've seen a lot of them you know and and they cover uh, a lot of the kind of key issues that as a teacher i guess 
you would be you know you would be concerned about on a very regular basis um as we've already discussed some of them just coming back to kind of in school um kira i'm interested to ask you this one actually first is because i already asked kathy earlier what are the most prevalent issues that you think you're seeing and have things changed since covid or have things evolved in any way just need to click on mute but there you go hi um the most the most prevalent issues are, are definitely around anxiety um and as Kathy was talking about earlier, you know, anxiety around academics. Um, and I think because we've come out of, you know, a couple of years of not having formal exams, you know, it's just raised the stakes even higher. Or sorry, well, at least, you know, the perception has been raised even higher. So we have more people who are anxious about um, their exams. And, you know, that then, you know, filters into the classroom that they're scared of getting things wrong they're scared of saying things mm. out loud um they're scared of you know saying the wrong thing within a group scenario so we're trying to do a lot of work about it's okay to get things wrong it's okay to be nervous it's okay you know to have butterflies in your tummy these things are okay these are normal feelings um and just to normalize all of those things and just to you know be good role models as teachers as well have you have you had any because you obviously being a tooled up school have you had any kind of teachers come up to you and say oh you know this is really good I've used this or how they've used it or whatever so well far. yeah I mean what what we've been um, asking all staff to do is you know to really think about their vocabulary and to make a real mm. effort about normalizing mistakes and to challenge them to bring them out of their comfort zone and to talk we've been doing assemblies about talking to pupils about um you know doing something that they haven't done before and how that builds resilience and how that makes them more prepared for the exams i think you know people just are quite narrow or you know pupils are quite narrow-minded in thinking that it's anxiety just around exams and if we can actually start to build their confidence in other areas mm. and, and let them you know experience um unusual feelings and anxieties you know playing a hockey match or speaking in debating club that that will all build into you know getting ready for their exams when they think that that is the biggest you know risk factor for them yeah Kathy do you want to come in on that I was going to ask you about resilience actually yeah I mean so I Kira's, a... just, Kira's just hit the nail on the head you know the it, giving children practice at doing things that would challenge them whether it's intellectually or physically children need to be feeling you know that the, the feeling in their tummy when they climbed at the top of the tree when they climbed at the top of the climbing frame you know and teachers understand that and they're giving children access to those sorts of opportunities but at the same time in tools up we emphasize to parents the necessity of a courage culture at home um, and a lot of anxious parents would stand at the bottom of that tree and not allow their child to climb to the top of the tree if you like um and, you know, sort of enjoy the sort of the comfort of them getting things right when actually resilience is born 
and bread and, and sort of, um, you know, uh, increases within those moments of desirable difficulty intellectually, within those moments of physicality where they wonder, can they do it? You know, can they get to the top of the tree? You know, and giving children that beautiful experience. That's what school's about, isn't it? And that's what parenting is about, is enabling children, boosting their self-esteem, which we know is a predictor of resilience, and yeah. giving them an opportunity to do that. And the beautiful, a tooled up tip for you all, you know, if you see children doing something that ordinarily they would be anxious to do or they're frightened to get up on that stage and play their violin concerto or whatever, after they have done it, after they have been through it, a good thing to say to them is how did you do that? How did you manage it? Ask them to reflect on that thing that they have done that they found so challenging. And in that reflection, uh, you know, that will breed resilience in itself because it's a beautiful little tip. And that's directly from Thomson Ford, professor of psychiatry at Cambridge. So it doesn't get better than that. Wow. How does, Kathy, how does, how does a teacher tell the difference between the time when they should be pushing a student to, to really push themselves and, and push through the barrier and give it a go type thing and to say, oh, you know what, I'm going to back off here and I'm just going to leave it. You know how 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 do you know that? I mean, I mean, is there a is there a, not a default position, but is there a is the one that we should be trying to do more than the other, or is well, it completely I, I, contextual? Yeah. First of all, you know, we're talking about sort of relationships with pupils, and some, you know, we we have to sort of. I mean, schools should always be screening for the sort of the bigger mental health concerns, but for the rest of the children, I prefer the word nudging. Nudging is very important. It's important to have high aspirations, high expectations of children and to show them that we believe in them. Um, so nudging is slightly different to pushing. You know, I always say to parents, you know, no, your children shouldn't be in tears at homework time or in tears over an exam. You know, but at the, we have to read children. We have to, you know, think about how they're responding to particular interventions in the classroom. It is about you know, boosting their self-esteem. And um, there is an enormous chunk of research showing the power of the teacher-pupil relationship in yes. helping with academic resilience and emotional resilience and mental health. That dynamic between teacher and pupil and that kind of um, children's perception of how the teacher is responding to them and whether they like them or not, whether they're getting along, it can have a a really significant impact on people's mental health and well-being, even you know, quite quite into the distant future. There's lots of work yeah. by Dr. Ingrid Osbooth, who's a developmental psychologist in that area. So when teachers are listening to this, you know, I want them to remember that the power is right there in that dynamic, in that relationship between themselves and the pupils in their class. I'm always struck by my own children, you know, commenting, that teacher really is really good. What makes the teacher good? He makes me laugh. Or that teacher's really good. She's really kind. You know, that's the way children sort of assess and evaluate that, and the, you know, that relationship. But that relationship has an impact yeah. on that child's mental health. So you have a lot of power already um, in your hands. And just knowing that child is, is very important as well. I was going to ask you, I mean, that's quite a nice lead on actually, Kathy, to my next little question, which was about the use of language 
um, for teachers. I know we mentioned earlier about the, um, you know, when we were talking about the different issues around anxiety or or eating disorders and so on, the things that teachers should never say and stuff like that. But is there any general kind of tips you might have for a teacher who is trying to have a difficult conversation with a student about something? Are there any tips that you have about language, about, you know, things not to say or things to say? Yes. Well, first of all, I think teachers should always have a kind of an an internal template for a conversation that's difficult in inverted commas with a pupil. So they should have an idea of sort of having an exploratory uh, part of the conversation. So I've noticed that. Have you noticed that? And then sort of, you know, moving into, it's called a 3D model of conversations, Discover, Deepen and Do, that was developed at the University of Hertfordshire. And just sort of exploring a topic, going into a little bit more depth and then having an action point, a doing bit. So I think that you can have quite interesting templates that can help you navigate difficult conversations. But if we're talking about mental health, I think teachers, and this is very evidence-based, Teachers need to remember it's just about asking great questions and reading body language. I've noticed that you're, you know, you're, you look quite nervous. Is, mm. is that true? Um, I've noticed recently you seem very, very down in my lessons. Would you agree with that? So lots of lovely, just gentle, exploratory questions. And then if a child talks, starts opening up and talking, obviously teachers already have all these skills of just validating saying, look, I can help you get support with that. Would you like me to help you do that? So you've already got all those skills, but I would always encourage teachers to have confidence in their own professional knowledge when working with young people. You can't, you know, you by asking good questions and opening up children's thinking and having the support systems on the other end of that conversation, that's the best you can do, you know, in those particular scenarios. Brilliant. I mean... With regards to that, um, and I've already kind of asked Kira this, but I'll ask you because I think that would be interesting to hear your perspective. Because I was asking her about how a teacher might use Tooled Up. So, do you want to talk us through that in a little bit more detail about how you envisage if a school subscribes to Tooled Up and then every teacher has access to this, how might a classroom teacher use it on the day to day? So obviously Tooled Up is not just about mental health, but we're sort of emphasizing that this evening. So I'll just yeah. sort of, you know, um, uh, let's have a think. So, for example, um, uh, teachers might be interested in spotting the signs of problematic anxiety or eating disorders or self-harm in a secondary school. I mean, they can go into Tooled Up, they can watch an entire hour and a half long webinar, which is divided into sections on those different issues telling them what we know from the literature, psychiatric literature, where are the conversational templates, what is a good thing to say and a not so good thing to say if you have noticed a pupil self-harming, for example. Um, so we we are very, um, we have all those lovely detailed webinars, but equally we have notes that accompany every single webinar, every single podcast, and we are quite prescriptive if we can be. So if there is a try not to do this, try not to's, for example, we we are quite explicit about those. So, for example, it's unhelpful to dismiss a child's feelings. Why would you be worried about that? You know, it's unhelpful um, to over reassure. It's called the reassurance trap in the anxiety literature. It's unhelpful to, uh, you know, uh, sort of mock 
you know, a child's sort of feelings or emotional distress. So we all kind of know those things, but we do try and draw those out. Um, and we do try and, as as Kira rightly said, you know, the, the relationship between language and resilience and mental health, you know, it's something we do need to pay attention to. For example, you know, nobody stands these days at the side of the rugby pitch telling boys to man up um, or telling boys they shouldn't cry. We're, we're, far, mm. we're far away from that now. We know that we're all trying to work together, not just to raise awareness about mental health, but also mental health conditions, but also really developing and promoting emotional literacy in educational settings and in the home is absolutely critical. Can you give it, because this time of year is a bit of a weird one because you've got lots of students starting the new year, lots of students starting at new schools uh, as well. What would be some of your like tooled up tips that you might share with, with teachers or parents or anybody at this time of year? Well, first of all, the support and the effective support required for transition, it begins a lot earlier. So we our transitional support package and leaflets and videos and webinars. It all was sent to the schools, you know, at the, at the beginning of the summer. So we always try and help parents think about building children's resilience ahead of, of, of September, ahead of school start. That's our first point. Secondly, um, for ch- I think all schools should be screening children for, you know, anxiety and working on how they're thinking and feeling and doing on entry to school if they're coming for the first time. Um, and you can very much segment that support according to what that screening tells you. Secondly, for, you know, uh, schools are now brilliant at minimizing anxiety because they bring children in for those lovely induction days. They encourage that sort of familiarity with the setting uh, before they come in. Um, And they, you know, they're very adept at understanding the sort of transition anxiety um, that children have. My best tip, which I've still sort of, I've just mentioned a minute ago for teachers, is to be warm, is to be funny, is to be friendly. I know I'm sort of preaching to the converted here, but children really are looking for that kind of warmth and rapport in these early days. And I think if you work on rapport with pupils, if you work on rapport with parents, everything is so much easier. Teaching is easier. You know, learning in that classroom is easier. Having difficult conversations with parents is easier. So it's all about rapport. Um, And I think just focusing on that lovely, you know, developing all those lovely relationships within your school community will stand you in good stead. And I also think, Transition is essentially, again, about coping. And I think it is an incredibly important time of year for schools to, for example, help children do a little bit of, you know, work on who I am and what I'm about, my strengths, you know, when they transition into secondary, you know, what do I have in common with people? What makes me unique? That kind of identity work is very important. And critically, and this will link to the next topic that we're going to talk about, Critically, I think it's important that all students have a safety plan and that could be worded slightly differently. Like, for example, um, who can I go to in school? Where is the support system? In some of our primary schools, we talk about having the five fingers of support who's there for me in this setting and at home. And just making sure that all young people, teenagers know who is there for them. Where are those 
sort of protective assets, who's there for them, who's in their army, and just sort of mapping that out at this point in the year before the sort of academic pressure comes. So identity work, coping work, just mapping that out. And if, if you like kind of creating the architecture around resilience in that setting, that's a good thing to think about, you know, and sense of school climate and school culture and diffusing that staff room with a sense of, you know, hope and optimism and joy. Um, that would be my best advice, I think. Spot on. Um, I just want to give a quick shout to some of our regular listeners. We've got Miss um, Kendall, who always listens to a lot of Teacher Talk radio shows. Thank you. Uh, we've got Mr. B. Thank you very much. Mark is here. Uh, and then we've got some new listeners as well. Uh, welcome to Alan. Uh, we've got Christina. Uh, we've got, oh goodness me, we've got a lot down there. Uh, Paula, Alison. Uh, yeah. There's just a shout to some, but um, thank you very much for uh, for tuning in with us tonight. Very, very much appreciated. And, uh, and yeah, we hope you've enjoyed the chat so far. Um, in a minute, I'm going to ask uh, the Ollie Foundation. Ollie Foundation, if you are there, I think it's Debbie from the Ollie Foundation. All you need to do is hit the little icon in the bottom left-hand side. I think I've requested you in as a speaker already, but if you can hit that little icon and then we can connect you in to join this conversation as well. Before we do that, or whilst we're doing that, Lucy, are you there? Our wonderful admin. <laughs> oh, you charmer, Tom Rogers. Well, I am. Hello. <laughs> now, Lucy, you're a primary school teacher. Um, Indeed I am. What are your thoughts on this, on all of this? I mean, do you have any? Do you have any thoughts or questions? I mean, it's been a fascinating listen. And actually, the, the phrase that has stuck with me is this idea of emotional literacy, because uh, I've heard the phrase emotional intelligence before. But the idea of emotional literacy, I just want to sort of unpack that more and ask Kathy sort of in a bit more detail, kind of. I mean, I, I get what yeah. she means by it, but how we can kind of become more emotionally literate as as teachers and where we would sort of explore and unpack that. Good one. Yes. Yeah, so basically, it's just about, um, you know, teaching children that emotions, you know, the ups and downs of everyday life contain lots of different emotions. And you and I have probably experienced an entire array of them in one day today and teaching children that that's normal. And um, but also giving children you work with primary school teachers a sort of an expressive emotional vocabulary whether you're an English teacher whether you're you know has a different role in the school children need to have the language to accompany the feeling so if you take for example the emotion of anger there are about a hundred words that you can come up with the children could use to describe that so you might see a child looking a little bit down in the dumps because they haven't been included in the football team and you might say to them are you I can see you're looking a bit disappointed are you feeling disappointed and you introduce that sort of acquisition of vocabulary as much as possible with younger children using emojis, you know, emoticons, ways in which children can point and identify and think about their feelings. And on the other end of that, monitoring their mood. And we have a resource in Tooled Up called the Mood Thermometer. I'm getting children to be interested in, in the navigation of those emotions in things that giving them a sense of agency and control that they actually can affect their own mood um, by using things like our coping menu. I would say uh, a wonderful evidence-based approach that is al already in existence is, uh, I mentioned uh, the Yale professor Mark Brackett earlier. He has a wonderful book called Permission to Feel about unlocking the power of emotions to help um, children thrive. And he has an existing approach 
which schools can use called the ruler approach, which is a sort of a, um, a very, he's the founder of the Yale Center for Emotional Intelligence and ruler um, which stands for, you know, regulating emotion, understanding emotion, all sorts of different things. That is a pre-existing, tried and tested, evidence-based approach that schools can actually use quite easily. So that might be of interest to your colleague, Tom. Brilliant, brilliant. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, for me, like I said earlier, I don't know what Lucy thinks, but I, I was going to ask Lucy what, you know, whether Tooled Up or something like Tooled Up would have helped her in her career so far because it certainly for me it definitely would have to have had access to something that would have been at my fingertips available there okay i don't know anything about this let's learn about it from trusted experts i think that's the big thing is like keep coming back to this is trusted experts is something that is evidence-based evidence-informed and not just oh you know like let's all feel better you know um one thing I wanted to ask you about, Kathy, was like, um, I guess this is like, it's it's, it's not so much like, um, I guess it is a student thing and a staff thing, but like this idea of toxic positivity as well. I wanted to ask if you had any views on that in terms of like the kind of reverse of, um, you know, negative being negative or critical, but this idea of like just brushing over stuff with students. Do you know what I mean? Because I think that can happen as well. And, absolutely, oh, you're, absolutely. You're feeling better now. Oh, yeah, I'm feeling better. Oh, good. Off we go then. You know that kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, I think it's it's first of all, it's about realism. It's about practicality. It's about the acknowledgement that all of us have down days. All of us feel anxious, um, and all of us have a whole array of emotions. So, for example, if you're parenting, you know it's it's you know we need to be able to allow children to have down days and not expect i always say i always say i'm always fascinated by people who say oh i just want my children to be happy well that is it's really hard work to feel <laughs> happy all the time i certainly don't and i don't expect my children to and i think that we need to you know this isn't about being happy this is yeah. about living your life in a way that feels generally good and in a way that allows you to explore your own potential, to enjoy challenge, to, to, to find out what you're capable of. All of that can be at times quite uncomfortable, but that's when you're really kind of living your life, you know. So it's, this is not about, uh, you know, uh, happiness. This is about, uh, we do know that the sense of, you know, there's very strong research around the concept of hope uh and optimism for sort of igniting resilience but it's certainly not about overwhelming positivity this is about realism and realistic approaches well mr b was giving you a big clap there emoji clap as you were talking <laughs> patty which is probably one of the the best moments of your life so far but you've got some serious clap emojis going on lucy also has a hand up i thought i'd be polite <laughs> Oh, well, you're so nice, Lucy. Carry on, go on. Okay. I know what I was going to... I've lost, it's gone out of my brain now. No, I was going to say, I think the, the toxic positivity thing, it did, and that's why I laugh, because I think primary is really guilty of this in, in many respects. And I know there'll be primary teachers who will disagree with me on this, but you see, particularly with really young children as well, that often it's just kind of, oh, they're just having a bit of a, 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 bit of a wobbler or a bit of a bad day, and you kind of sort of soothe them with a with a nice voice and off they go whereas actually 
listening to Kathy is maybe saying actually from a young age, instilling the idea of being able to express themselves in a healthy way is so, so, so important. And it's just made me think of situations even that I've seen possibly today. I could allude to some situations with with young children where um, I've just seen them kind of sort of, you know, told to toddle off in in the other direction. And it's not because the, the teacher doesn't care necessarily. It's because that maybe they don't they don't have the skills or the 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 knowledge to sort of really unpack what's what's going on with uh, a five-year-old or they don't want to get into it with a five-year-old which can be difficult when they as well don't necessarily have possessed the language to express themselves either yeah Kathy any comments on that yeah I think that what toxic positivity is about is really about dismissing or denying human emotions so it's kind of you know get over it. Um, it it doesn't it doesn't give children time, and it doesn't give them. Uh, in some ways, I think you know people who resp- who who might respond to a child with that kind of you know um, dis- sort of dismissive approach. It's because often we fear children's children being upset, and as a parent, it's deeply distressing to see a child upset, and sometimes it can even make us irritated or angry. So. We have to just give children time to feel things and it's not easy to do, but also for younger children, giving them the vocabulary for how they're feeling and just helping them almost being almost still in those moments as well, rather than kind of, you know, you're okay telling children they're okay when they're really not. So I think that it's just about, it's just about being more mindful, I think, in those moments with children who are trying to navigate those feelings and understand what's happening to them. Um, and just a little bit of patience in that regard. So I think toxic positivity is the opposite of, of sort of the emotional literacy that we're trying to promote that does require all of us to kind of work harder on our own responses to children who are you know, um, um, feeling a lot of those sort of that roller coaster. Yeah, spot on. Um, we we were talking earlier about I, I, talking earlier a little bit, and we didn't really go into it. But this whole issue of social media, you know, TikTok, um, you know, and all the rest of it. I wondered what your views on that are, Kathy. Do you? I, I mean, social media, not just using technology, but specifically social media sites well the research says that you know appearance-based social media can have a negative impact particularly on those that are feeling already vulnerable teenage girls in particular we know that there's a disproportionate impact um you know on sort of mental health uh, issues on girls teenage girls would be probably the category that i would worry about the most and i think social media is all about teaching children to, to to think about how that particular app or program or Instagram account is making me feel. And that is also about being emotionally literate and choosing not to accept the way that that is making me feel. Choosing the power not to follow, but to unsubscribe. Um, so I think we need to teach young people to be very discerning and self-protective. I always say to young people, it's about being your own best friend. You know, this isn't make you know, looking at, a certain celebrity's holiday pictures in Mexico when I'm stuck in a freezing office with the rain pouring down. It doesn't make me feel better, so I'm going to, like, unsubscribe, thanks. Um, and just, again, it's about that sort of digital literacy. I am not a fan of TikTok. Um, and, you know, I'm veering into my personal opinion here, but TikTok, for me, 
some of the content, the misuse of TikTok in schools, the filming of teachers, the you know, the sexualization of schoolgirls on, on those platforms like that, I find it deeply disturbing. And you only you don't have to go very far into TikTok to find very young children engaging with adults um in deeply inappropriate ways. So I find it extremely concerning. It's something yeah. I raise a lot with parents and it's something, you know, that we try and you know, we try and address with Bear them away from, yeah. Uh, Mr. B has called Mr. B, good evening to you. I wondered whether you had a question or anything you want to add into the discussion or anything about tooled up that you've heard that you think would you like or would have liked there you go oh okay hi everyone um yeah so first of all thank you for kind of all your really interesting points um i just wanted to pick up on that point about social media in particular and kind of the flip side that we find a little bit um with social media and just your thoughts on on this so I'm also the PSHE lead um, for my school and we obviously teach mental health in um, all key stages um, and I do think it's really important that you know students develop their literacy around obviously mental health and also signs and symptoms and, and all that really important stuff at the minute um, but we're finding and I, I wondered if anyone else was finding this that and again linking to social media kind of this almost a bit of a hyper a hyper awareness of mental health, particularly in, particularly in girls, particularly kind of upper key stage three, key stage four, you know, saying things like I'm depressed, I'm anxious, I've got this, I've got that. And of course, like I said, it's fantastic that students are having this awareness of mental health and and entering a world that, you know, even when I was at school, we didn't really talk about. But, you know, when I talk to senior leaders, it's an echo that they, um, uh, sorry, a concern that they echo as well, that there's almost this hypersensitivity around it and that can oftentimes mean that students are less resilient and less willing to participate because they've self-diagnosed from TikTok and social media and things like that so I don't know if that's a a phenomenon that other schools are maybe witnessing and also what what do you then do with that I mean obviously we don't want to discourage discourage students talking about their mental health Mm. um, but how you know where do we go from there what how do we what's a good way to phrase it is actually you know this isn't anxiety, it's just this, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Kathy? Well, there's a brilliant, brilliant book by a researcher called Lucy Fuchs, What is Mental Illness and What Isn't, I think it's called. And she talks about we have to stop pathologizing and we have to teach, you're talking about language. It is deeply inappropriate for young people to say, I'm so OCD when they're not, they don't have a clinical diagnosis, or I feel so depressed when they do not have a clinical diagnosis. And what we need to do is teach young people the difference between, you know, genuine psychiatric conditions and feeling a little bit down in the dumps or feeling awesome. a bit worried. Because So we have to be, that book is brilliant um for for you know it's a perfect book for any pshe lead to read and lean into and lucy is brilliant at uh that book you know she talks about her personal experience she talks about the language that you know i'm so ocd i i'm i'm i've got anxiety when when quite clearly that's very very different um from having a diagnosed psychiatric yeah. condition so there's a lot of literacy there as well mental health literacy but that's a brilliant book you know to use as a school and to reference and lean into and pull a, pull a paragraph out of it and have it for as a discussion point mr b does that yeah and brilliant i 
Yeah, thank you. That's really good. Could I um, could I just get the author, uh, the surname of the author again? Sorry. Yes, so it's Lucy Fuchs. So her surname is F O U L K E S. Excellent. That's brilliant. Yeah, I mean, we often say to students, you know, in in those one to one conversations, it's it's actually, you know, you have friends that do that we know have these diagnosed conditions. So actually, it's it's building a bit of a culture of insensitivity around that as well. Yeah. Um, so yeah, brilliant. That's great. Thank you. Thanks very much for calling in, Mr. B. That was a really good, really good contribution. Um, yeah, I, we're, we're coming towards the end. And I, I know Ollie, the Ollie Foundation, we're going to call in. I don't know if they still are. Um, we've requested a few times for you to come in. So if you're still interested in getting involved in a the conversation, then definitely just accept that request bottom left-hand side of the screen, or it might be at the top of the screen. You can click request in on the bottom left-hand side, just a little icon, uh, the blue icon that says request to speak. Just click that. And then you can hopefully join the conversation just for the last five minutes or so. Um, Kathy, just to finish, oh, I want to I want to focus on tooled up just for the last five minutes. I mean, how do people how do people take action now? They've heard this whole show. Uh, maybe they've listened live. Maybe they've listened on catch up. Um, if they're interested in finding out more about tooled up, or even if they're interested maybe in taking out uh, some sort of subscription with tooled up, what do they do? So they just go to our site and they make an inquiry. So it's www.tooledupeducation.com and our team will be in touch with them and can talk to them about their, their school and how they can subscribe and subscribe and be part of that. I would say for schools who don't even want to subscribe, even the front page of Tooled Up is quite informative. And one of the things the Ollie Foundation and we, we have actually done together, which, which Debbie was going to talk about this evening, for example, is an absolutely free resource to all schools, any educational setting on the topic of uh, postvention. So it's actually World uh, Suicide Day on September the 10th. And we have partnered with the brilliant charity, the Ollie Foundation. And we've got a 96 page, you know, uh, document resource for any school any PSHE you know lead or any school leader who is interested in having a big big resource that is about uh, looking at a in the event of an unspeakable tragedy like a sudden death or a suicide in your school community we've come together to create that resource and we're going to release that on Friday so that's something that you can happily download um, as a as a sort of a, a very extensive free resource from tooled up that should benefit you know, and support pastoral staff um, in educational settings if that if the unspeakable happens. So that's we often have lovely collaborations with with organizations like Ollie, and we're really, really proud of that. Um, and I would also encourage with World Suicide Day coming up, we're talking about mental health to signpost everyone to the Ollie Foundation. They do amazing training um, for school staff. And of course, we're very proud of that collaboration for that. Uh, exciting resource that we've created that we're releasing on friday wow amazing stuff um right everyone i think we've we've just about or we're starting to at least run out of time so this might be just my opportunity to say thank you ever so much to kira who's joined us kira are you still there i, I think lucy wants to say something as well lucy's put a hand up lucy do you want to say something no, no, no. I was just going to wait until the end to do some show plugs. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do that in a minute. Um, I just want to say thanks to Kira um, for joining in. Obviously, Kathy, absolutely amazing, Kathy, the 
pearls of wisdom you've managed to uh, uh, give us all today. So many things that I've noted down during the course of the conversation, whether it be the names of researchers or books or just ideas that you've, you've said. So I really appreciate that. And I think I'm sure everybody listening uh, has appreciated it too. If you've missed some of this, you can listen back. You just have to click the same link you've joined it on. Um, we'll also be publishing this as a podcast. So in a day or two, you'll be able to, courtesy of the, the post-production team at Teachers Talk Radio, you'll be able to download this show on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, uh, TuneIn Radio, all the podcast providers you could possibly think of. Um, you'll be able to download this as a show if you've missed any of it and you're thinking, right, you know what, I wanted to hear about that particular element or aspect um, then you, you can listen to the whole thing back or you can just listen to it back on Twitter Spaces, which is obviously what we're on now. Um, the other thing I would obviously tell you all to do is check out uh, Tooled Up. And again, if you don't know what the website is, it's tooledupeducation.com. Uh, so you just visit the website and take a look at what they've got available. The one-stop shop for all things evidence-informed uh, I'm not even going to, uh, as Kathy said, it's so much more than just mental health. There's so much to tooled up. So check it out yourself and see what you can find out and engage with on the tooled up education website. Uh, also, thanks to Mr. B for, for calling in with his question and for everyone else who was engaged in the show tonight. Really, really appreciate it. We have more shows coming up on Teachers Talk Radio. Uh, we've got another one uh, just after this, starting in about two minutes time with Jeff. Uh, maybe we can bring Jeff in. Uh, oh, no, we can't because he'll just be setting up his show, I'm guessing. So that's a very stupid idea from me. But Jeff will be on in about two minutes time. And I'd love to hear Jeff's thoughts on the show tonight. I know he's been listening throughout. So maybe at the start of your show, Jeff, you can uh, tell us what your thoughts are on all of this in about two minutes time. And you can listen to Jeff's show at ttradio.org. Just click the Listen Live icon on the, on the homepage, uh, whether you're on desktop or mobile, and you can uh, you can listen in. Now, Lucy, you have a show tomorrow night as well. Do you want to say anything? First of all, before you plug your show, do you want to say anything about the show tonight in terms of anything you've learned or taken away? I just thought it was it was absolutely fantastic, a really important listen. And I just think that, I mean, I, I rant about this a lot, and I know other Teachers Talk Radio hosts do too, but just the idea of becoming or understanding children's emotions and kind of how and child development it sort of seems to be missing from teacher training and I know I, I say that a lot of things are missing from from teacher mm. training but that whole idea of of at least tapping into or beginning to understand children's emotions and and what underpins them and how that works and uh I definitely think tooled up maybe has uh some potential in the in that space as as well so uh that's interesting from my perspective for real right tell us about your show tomorrow night then finish well you've off. done you've already done uh Pedis's plug for me so uh I, you spared me that one my show tomorrow night is um is university really worth it in this day and age and to those of you listening if you had your time again would you would you go now i've also got a guest on as well who, who's coming in to share his story about going to university a little bit later in life so join me at 7 30 tomorrow evening for one week only brilliant i want to thank everyone we will see you again in about a minute's time uh with jeff thanks for tuning in thanks everyone see you again soon goodbye 
You've been listening to Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you next time on Teachers Talk Radio.